Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, February the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football on the number one podcast on the Dolphins on the internet. On today's show, the state of the roster series continues with the big uglies on the inside. We'll talk about Jawan James's contract situation, what to do with Josh Sitton, and this loaded, loaded offensive line draft class. Plus, a trade-up or a trade-back. We'll explore some possible scenarios for Miami come April's draft, and we'll get into that segment we promised on yesterday's podcast, talking about the Dolphins on Thanksgiving. All of that and much more. But first, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, Apple Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the entire state of the roster series up live right now. Offensive line, tight end, wide receiver, running backs, and quarterbacks all up there. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On NFL podcast and Locked On Heat podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And one of these days, I'm going to stop saying this because every show is this way, but we have a busy, busy show for you on this Wednesday. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Draft day trades in the first round. They are prevalent, but they almost never seem to include the Miami Dolphins. As the last time the Dolphins made a trade in the first round, it was in 2013, so six years ago, to go up and take Deion Jordan. The only redeeming quality of that horrific trade was that it really didn't cost them all that much, relatively speaking. Usually going from that spot in the draft up to the top three is going to cost you an additional first round draft pick, but Miami had their own additional second round draft pick that year from the Vontae Davis trade, and they peddled it to get up from 12 up to number three. So all things told, they gave up the 12th and 42nd pick to get number three for Deion Jordan, and the Raiders selected DJ Hayden and Menelik Watson with those two picks, so everybody loses in that one. Even though DJ is a nice rotational piece now for the Seahawks, because of course he is, it just didn't work out for either of those two teams at the time. And Miami's last trade down involves the Seahawks also, but in a roundabout way. Not that they were the trade partner, but we do go back to 2010 when the Dolphins last traded down in the first round, and Miami took picks 28 and 40 from San Diego for the 12th pick of the first round. The Chargers took Ryan Matthews, and the Finns wound up with Jared Audrick and Koa Misi. Again, Nobody wins. The Seahawks connection there, however, is that Earl Thomas was nabbed two picks later, 14th overall, and I was begging, begging the Dolphins to take Earl Thomas. They did not. They traded back as the Dolphins wound up stealing Rashad Jones in the fifth round that same year. So the Legion of Boom could have been a Miami thing and not a Seattle thing as I had to deal with the 12th man up here in the Northwest for the last several years of that potential dynasty that almost got built in Seattle. So the success for the Dolphins has not been great, but that's probably more about the Dolphins just not being that great of a drafting team in general, though things have gotten better recently. But I wanted to look at some potential options to make a trade in this year's draft because it's a hot topic, especially with these quarterbacks coming out, Kyler Murray being part of that, Dwayne Haskins as well. 
both to go up and to go down. And I think the going up part starts with the Arizona Cardinals at pick number one, who, as they were always going to do, announced on Tuesday that Josh Rosen is their guy. Cliff Kingsbury came out and said that very same thing. I mean, they had to do that, so we'll see. But that's the spot we're at right now where we start at number one. And if you identify Kyler Murray as the guy that changes your franchise and you don't want to risk losing him, and I guess you can throw Dwayne Haskins in this mix too, but frankly, I don't see that at all. I would take Haskins at 13, maybe even trading up a little bit to get him, but certainly not selling the farm for him. Whereas Kyler Murray, to me, is that type of guy. But if you do feel that way and you don't want to risk losing Kyler Murray, going to number one is where the options begin to, the conversation begins for you. I think Miami could probably wait this thing out, but you're playing with fire and the possibility of losing your guy if he is your guy, if you don't go up to number one. So I put a couple of polls up on Twitter on Tuesday and the results were very interesting to me. I put it out there asking the fans, would you deal the 13th pick and Xavier Howard for the first pick of the Cardinals? And 45% say yes, and the majority rules no. That is insane to me, but I also get why. It's just because people don't like Kyler Murray as much as I do, and that's fine. So then I wanted to gather the why behind you wouldn't do that. So I made up my own fictional poll, so to speak, a hypothetical that had more pretend situations. In this second poll was operating in a pretend situation, all pretend, I know this isn't the case, a hypothetical that asks if Tua and or Trevor Lawrence were in this class, would you make that same trade? And those results went to 81% yes, 19% no. And for those 19%, Like, what the hell are we talking about here? Everyone agrees that Trevor Lawrence is the next coming of Jesus himself. And a lot of people feel the same way about Tua Tungavailoa. But you wouldn't give up a star corner who is going to ask for near quarterback level money in two years for the right to draft a transcendent quarterback? Well, okay then. I I don't know what else to say to you there. So pick 13, back to a realistic scenario here. Pick 13 and Xavier Howard for the first pick. I'm giving X a first round value and then some like a little bit of sweetener there. So I think it'd really be more like giving up two first round picks, number 13 and Xavier Howard, but also like a third round draft pick because Howard's worth more than a one for my money. I think that might get it done. It might not, who knows. And the Cardinals have needed a number two cornerback to compliment Pat P, Patrick Peterson, for a long, long time now. And they're just not gonna find a better corner on the market than Xavier Howard. So with those two, Buda Baker, Chandler Jones, those are the makings of a very nice young defense going forward in the desert. And then obviously you have Josh Rosen, who you have to hope hits and becomes the quarterback they hope he can be. Then you can look at San Francisco at the second pick. We'll see what happens with that, but they are not quarterback needy either. The Jets at number three, they're not going to trade with the Dolphins. No way they help the Dolphins get their franchise quarterback. Oakland and Tampa Bay could be options to help Miami get in front of the Giants and Jags at six and seven, both who have quarterback needs. But I think that eighth pick is an interesting spot. And that's where we're going to stop right here. Denver picks 10th and they almost certainly will take a quarterback in the first round if they can find one they like and he falls to them or they trade up and go get him. I think it probably winds up being Drew Locke. Ugh, what a catastrophe that would be for that organization. But the Lions leaked out some info via pro football talk that they will consider a quarterback in the first round despite Matt Stafford already being on the roster. Personally, I don't buy that, but it's surely enough to entice teams, or the idea is to entice teams to come up and trade up and take that pick. 
So that's my next target point. And from there, it probably costs you a two and some change. Let's call it a two and a four. That for me would be a home run to go get Kyler Murray and change this whole entire franchise and change the dynamic of how you're viewed in the NFL. And then there are the tradeback options. This one is difficult to forecast because you just you have to find a reason for a team to want to come up. And at 13, usually that's not where the quarterbacks are going to be available for teams to trade up and come get their guy. So it's tough to forecast. Maybe it's to come up and take the first wide receiver off the board, though I don't know if there's a guy that highly thought of in this class that again, after seeing DK Metcalf shirtless, maybe there will be. Maybe the top offensive lineman, a tackle like Andre Dillard, go Cougs. In this scenario, I want to focus on the offensive line because this O-line class is outstanding. I think there's probably six or seven immediate starters on this year's interior offensive line alone, and that's where some of Miami's biggest needs on this roster all are. So falling back into the 20s, recouping a second round pick, you could conceivably fix your interior offensive line by executing that one trade, which is a very attractive option for me. And then you go into 2020 and find the quarterback that way. And speaking of that offensive line, we're going to get deep, deep into the weeds on the current state of the Dolphins offensive line as we continue the state of the roster series next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. Talking about this stout offensive line class coming this April in the draft, a bunch of rookies that figure to contribute very early on, which has not been the case in recent years in the draft. It has been a bunch, a bunch of really bad offensive line classes coming down the pipeline. A big reason for that is the lack of development at the college level. A lot of these offenses focus on tempo and getting back to the line of scrimmage, and that is placed higher on the priority list than actually finishing blocks and working to the second level to get those blocks executed all the way to the completion. And additionally to that is the fact that all these superstar athletes, these kids that come out of these weight programs or training programs and just look like Greek gods, they're going to be more prone to go towards the defensive side of the football and be a pass rusher because the glamour is there and the money is there. And frankly, it's just more fun to rush the passer than it is to protect the passer. So you have this big disparity between defensive line and offensive line. And that's why the league has taken this new direction of more college-influenced type of offense, the quick game, getting the ball out faster. So we have to kind of think in that mold. But then you come back to 2019's draft class and you've got an absolutely loaded draft class. We'll talk about that here in a second. But first, let's go over the Dolphins' current players under contract. Right now, the Dolphins have $13 million tied up in their offensive line. The league average last year was $30 million bucks on the O-line. And the first guy on this list is super cheap compared to what he is on the field. Laramie Tunzel, $2.1 million owed this year in cash. And for me, he's the best left tackle in football. He's always been an elite pass protector. He shut out Khalil Mack and I think it was 15 pass rush snaps and Jadavian Clowney in about 18 pass rush snaps in two games over one month span. Excellent, excellent pass protector. The entire scheme is kind of built around what he can do one-on-one off the edge, but his work in the running game really matched his work as a pass protector this year. He cut the penalties down. He is just elite by all stretches of the imagination. I would extend that guy as soon as you can because he's awesome. Next person on the list is Josh Sitton, the left guard. A little bit of a funny squabble between Omar and I on Twitter the other day, which Omar has recently negated what he said and came back and said he was wrong. So good on you for that, Omar. But Josh Sitton is owed $7 million in cash. I talked about the fact that they've already paid him 
six and a half million of the $8.4 million they've guaranteed him on a two-year contract. So you can cut him and get away from that contract with only about $1.95 million going to waste. Or you can add an additional five or six million to pay him for another year for a 34-year-old lineman that basically has missed games each of the last three years, missed the entire season almost completely last season. I mean, the veteran presence is there. It's going to be a tough choice for them because I just don't think you can commit that kind of money to a guy that you cannot rely on. And so we'll see what the decision comes down there. But he was definitely good in that one game and got a lot of those communication issues, stunts and twists and games. He was a big part of getting that fixed, even if for just one game. Up next, Dan Kilgore is owed $2.8 million in cash. Originally, it sounded like a very savvy move to get a, bu- a budget player that could play at a decently good level as far as starting at center, but that didn't happen. He was bad in three games. He took a triceps injury. I just don't think there's any point in bringing him back. Seems pretty cut and dry to me. And the next guy, also very cut and dry, Ted Larson, $1.9 million. But I will forever remember my time in the locker room after the Miami Miracle when everybody was chanting, Ted, Ted, Ted for his outstanding block on the play that sprung Kenyon Drake. So Ted Larson will always have that, buddy, but sayonara. And then we have the pending free agents, and of course the biggest one on this team right now is Jawan James. He made $2.1 million last year, and the highest paid right tackle in the NFL currently is Lane Johnson. He is due $11.1 million next year, and Lane Johnson is elite. Jawan James, he's good, but he's not elite. But there's also a bit of a gap between Lane Johnson and the number two highest paid right tackle, $2.1 million worth, which is also what James made in total last year. But Detroit's Ricky Wagner makes $9 million bucks in 2019. And I think that's about where you figure that Jawan James comes down. Something like a four-year for $36 million contract. That would be, to me, $9 million bucks to sure up your bookend tackles. You're going to have to pay Tunzel soon. I get that. Maybe you can front load that contract as the Dolphins are going to have plenty of cap space this year and kind of make it easier on the team going forward. Or you can do the reverse of that and make him an easier cut candidate down the line. We'll see there. But I think the Dolphins would be foolish to let Jawan James walk because right now, They've really got one legit starting lineman in Laramie Tunzel. And next on the list is another guy that started every game in 2018, but his play just wasn't that good, especially in cons- in comparison to how he finished 2017 very strong at the right guard position. He is an exclusive rights free agent, so the Dolphins have first crack at him as they will probably make that offer to him and get him back. But Jesse Davis, who... Struggled last year with certain situations. Geno Atkins took him to the woodshed. He had a really bad game in that Buffalo home game, but he did take care of Akeem Hicks of the Bears, who was an all-pro in his own right on the Bears defensive line. But I think he'll be brought back, Jesse Davis, that is, with the idea that he could be a top offensive lineman off the bench, the swing guy, because he can play tackle, he can play guard, he has versatility that way. I want to see him get back to his 2017 roots where he was doing more as far as getting out in space and pulling and working in the run game that way. He and Jawan James had some nice combos in that way in 2018, but I think they have to do more from a coaching staff standpoint to get him doing more of the things that he does well. Because last year, there were some situations against Geno Atkins, for instance, where he He goes one-on-one with way too much space inside and just gets whipped as most guys will do in that spot. I think he comes back as a backup with the possibility of being a starter, depending on how free agency and the draft goes. And then Travis Swanson, 850K is what he will be, what he made last year. I think he'll be brought back as well. He was the best of that 
bunch of guys that got signed to replace all the injured players. He had some nice games, had some not so nice games, but I think he earned the right to come back for camp and compete for the backup center job in 2019. Sam Young, $900,000 last year, had a really, really bad season. I think it's time to move on there. Wesley Johnson, $790,000. Again, I don't have any reason to bring him back. He'd be the third center on this team probably tomorrow. So get rid of him. And speaking of center, a guy we didn't get to see a whole lot of this past season because of injuries, started the year on the PUP and then came back for, I think it was one game or maybe two games and then got hurt once again. Jake Brendel, $630,000. He could be a backup center option as well, possibly compete with Travis Swanson behind the guy the Dolphins bring in at center, which to me is going to be a very important piece of the offseason in 2019. Another free agent to be Isaac Asiata made 555k last year. Look, teaching and development have been a problem on this Dolphin staff going back to previously before Chris Furster and during Chris Furster doing all that cocaine and even this past season, the Dolphins have not developed guys outside of the first round because frankly, every good Dolphins offensive lineman over the last several years was a first round draft pick. Jawan James, Laramie Tunzel, Mike Pouncey. I mean, Josh Sitton was the big money addition and he only played one game, but they pretty much have to have great talent to develop in Miami. Asiata was so raw and so undeveloped and unrefined that it just wasn't ever going to work in Miami because they don't teach guys to get better. So I think he is probably gone with the new regime. Asiata, a fifth round pick wasted on that guy. Zach Stirrup, 510K. I just don't think that he's, he's long for this league. He never really played well when he got some playing time, which was limited, but in those limited reps just did not look cut out for the professional game. So with that, let's go ahead and jump forward to the free agent market on the offensive line. Jawan James really is the top tackle or overall offensive lineman on this list. So the Dolphins will need to re-sign him and then put away the tackle needs for the year. And then to me, center is a position in the NFL that has really increased its value over recent years with interior pass rushes getting ramped up and just the overall protection calls and leadership of that position. I think the Dolphins really need to find their next center and put him in there and set and forget and have a guy you can count on. And there's a couple of free agents that could fit that bill. Number one, Mitch Morse from Kansas City. He missed five games last year while his backup Austin Ritter came in and filled in without missing a beat and now we have new assistant GM Marvin Allen who was the director of college scouting in Kansas City when the Chiefs took Morse in the second round in that 2015 draft so I think that connection exists and that could be a route the Dolphins pursue for a 27 year old veteran starting center to just fill that hole and leave it and forget about it for a long time you hope that would be the case at guard there's not really a whole lot better of a class as far as free agents go the better ones are up there in age Mike Ayupati is 32 Andy Lavitri is 33 Roger, Roger Saffold is 31, James Carpenter 30, and Ramon Foster is 33. I think Quentin Spain from Tennessee had a down year in 2018, but he could be one that you look at to maybe resurrect his career a little bit. J.R. Sweezy of the Seahawks, he was in that power run game of the, Se- of the Seattle Seahawks, and if the Dolphins want to go that route, they could explore him on the market. And then there's A.J. Can from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was there under new Dolphins offensive line coach Pat Flaherty, who coached the Jaguars in 2017 and 2018. He's 27 years old, he has 59 career starts, and he was excellent in 2017, but had a real, real regression in 2018. So the Dolphins could find some starters on that market and maybe not pay out the eyeballs for it, 
But in this draft class, I talked about it, how loaded it is. I think that these guys, there could be several starters of this group. And I start with Dalton Reisner of Kansas State, Chris Lindstrom of Boston College, and Garrett Bradbury of NC State. Reisner can play anywhere on the offensive line. Lindstrom is a guard and Bradbury is a center. All those guys have first round pedigrees and are some of the options in that trade back scenario I talked about in the first segment. The second tier offers some potential day one starters as well. Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State is a pure power player. He has a hard time when he has to cross his feet or get out wide, but he could be a power center for the Dolphins going forward. Drew Samia from Oklahoma, he's a guard, a very good and well thought of prospect in that regard. And then Wisconsin, as they do every year, has a couple of beefy guards on the inside. Michael Dieter and Bo Benchwazel, that is nowhere near how to pronounce that, but we're going with it. Also, Texas A&M's Eric McCoy is a center slash guard prospect. And then lastly, I have Lamont Gelliard from Georgia, a center who is a high profile option at that spot as well. So what does all this mean? I think that the offensive line has plenty of options to get repaired this year, if not like immediately all five positions this year. And I think that if the Dolphins don't go the Kyler Murray option or the Kyler Murray route that I hope they do, I think the offensive line would be the next best choice at this spot. So I'm going to go with this for my starting lineup on opening day. Again, this could probably change so, so much. But left tackle, Laramie Tunzel. Left guard will be a free agent or a rookie. I'm not sure which one. Center, I'm going Mitch Morris from Kansas City. Right guard, I'm going A.J. Can or maybe a free agent or a rookie there. But A.J. Can from the Jaguars. And then re-sign Jawan James at right tackle. And you've got a veteran-filled offensive line with some young talent if you draft someone early as well. I think this would be a spot the Dolphins would be wise to invest in. And then maybe they can add some pieces in the later rounds to develop as backups and future starters as well as the Patriots have done for so long. And hopefully they bring that to Miami with Chad O'Shea, Jerry Shaplinski, and Brian Flores. All right, next on the podcast here, we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Day game between the Dolphins and Cowboys that is rumored to be set to be played this season. We'll go over that as well as the other Thanksgiving Day memories for the Miami Dolphins here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkful NFL at Locked On Fins. The news came down on Monday that the Dolphins will reportedly be playing against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day, though I'm not too sure if that rumor is to be trusted. As you guys recall, I was the first person on the internet anywhere to have the Dolphins 2018 schedule out on Twitter in its entirety, and my source for that schedule tells me that this might not be a sure thing and not to book your tickets on that just yet, so we'll wait on that idea first, but... If they do play on Thanksgiving, it's a great ode to a great rivalry and a great tradition that goes on between the Dolphins and the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And with that, let's go ahead and kick off the top three Thanksgiving Day memories for the Miami Dolphins. We'll start out here with some audio. Touches the football here. Watch what happens. It's Leon left. No! Oh, no! 
No, you can't get better than that call right there. Leon let no, as the Dolphins steal a win in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day in 1993. And the Dolphins improved to 9-2 and with that victory, but the rest of the season would not go so well as they would drop five in a row after Scott Mitchell, the backup for Dan Marino, who was hurt in Week 5, also got hurt and left it in the hands of the holder you guys heard there, Doug Peterson, now the Eagles head coach, and ruined that season for the Dolphins, much in the way Ray Lucas ruined the 2002 season. But memory number two from Thanksgiving takes us back to 2003, when the Dolphins again beat the Dallas Cowboys by the final of 40-21 to to improve to 8-4. and Here was Jason Taylor postgame after that victory, as he had an interception return for a touchdown. A lot, man. It's been a tough year. It's a big game. My man's old, old stomach grounds. It came in. Everyone talked about the tune in, about the cow. Came in here with give a game ball to coach, man. It's been through a lot. So they wore the game ball to Dave Wanstead, which I have mixed feelings about. But in that game, the Dolphins win at 40-21. to It was their third straight win and put them to 8-4, and which put them in a great position to make a push for the playoffs that year. Unfortunately, they lost the next two games, 12-0 at the Patriots and 34-27 at home against the Eagles on Monday night. That was my first Dolphins game ever in person, that Eagles game on Monday night. And I was a heartbroken 16-year-old, hoping, believing they still had playoff hope after that, which they won the next two games against the Bills and the Jets, but even 10-6 and six would not do it for them that year as they would fall short of the playoffs. And that brings us to the third and my final Thanksgiving memory here on the podcast. There's no audio clip for it on YouTube, but we go back to 2006 when the piano man himself makes the return to Detroit. Joey Harrington comes into the game after having a good stretch of play for three straight weeks. The Dolphins were on a three-game winning streak over the Bears, home for the Chiefs, and home for the Vikings after starting the season 1-6 and six in Nick Saban's second and final year in Miami. The Dolphins beat the Lions 27-10 after falling behind 10-zip and running off 27 straight points. They would end the season pretty much the next week by losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars 24-10, and then they beat the Patriots 21-zip after that. The big shutout led by Jason Taylor and then again like they do recently lost three games in a row to close out that season so 1993 at Dallas 2003 at Dallas and 2006 at Detroit the three top Thanksgiving Day memories for a younger Dolphins fan a 31 year old Dolphins fan and hopefully we have one more of those to add to the list this year if the Dolphins do go into Dallas But that is a long way off, and we'll get to that on a later podcast. But that, today, is my time on this podcast. And if you guys have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull it up instantly for all the latest and greatest on the Miami Dolphins. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.